Welcome to the Book of Medora podcast. The podcast will be discuss the lore of the Legend of Zelda series of video game products. My name is Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. This is a very special bonus episode where we're just going to answer a couple of emails we got in the emails at bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. We're big on the Book of Medora podcast at gmail.com emails because they let us get the big questions. Though sometimes the questions can be very big. And that's what this episode is about. Yeah, one in particular, which is a very good email that we like. Please send us more. But we thought it was perhaps a little too big to stick onto the end of a regular episode. So we're going to dedicate basically the bulk of this episode to it. Yeah, the way this is going to be formatted is that we'll do a couple of smaller questions first. And then we'll do the big email. And then at the end, Crystal, you said you wanted to hear me summarize what Kingdom Hearts is. Uh, Yes, I did want to hear that. Okay, so the very end of the episode will be me summarizing Kingdom Hearts. And just so everyone knows, I played the first Kingdom Hearts back in 2003. And the second one either in 2005 or 2006. And I haven't played anything else. And I haven't taken a refresher on them since then. So it's going to be interesting well those are the only ones you need yeah that's what i'm assuming going into kingdom hearts 3 that the 15 year gap won't matter that much but will the darkness defeat the light no i think that uh the light will defeat the darkness Uh. i think the blades will bleed (laughs) will shields shatter do they have shields if there's key blades are there like door shields no that's ridiculous and how dare you will 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 the soar or will the suck? Oh, that's will better you? than <laughs> will you save the girl or play like one? Oh, Deku uh, Tree. Deku Tree, come on. 90s. Yeah, 1998 was a very particular time. Willst thou soar or willst thou suck being the better alternative tagline really says a lot about the times and also video games. So which one do you want to start with, Crystal? Let's start with Daniels. Okay, let's start with Daniel. Which form of Midna do you like more? Personally, I like Imp Midna's design more. Huh. Like just purely a physical design? As I, I, I don't know if this, like you can take it as a face only question, I guess, but that's not how I'm interpreting it necessarily. I really like um, human form Midna or whatever, actual Midna. Yeah, her I, design is lovely, but you couldn't play a game with her. Oh, yes, you could. I, I mean, I guess you could. It, it would make a lot of scenes very different, including a cutscene we'll cover in the next podcast episode. Oh, is that, is that, is this, is that scene coming up? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. It, uh, I think that I like the usage of Imp Midna more because you can do a lot of really fun things with her body language that you couldn't do with true form Midna without compromising her uh imperial dignity so to speak and if you imagine true form minna doing all the shit that imp minna does it also becomes very funny mm-hmm. so i think i like imp minna it minna has a lot more screen time with which to do things mm-hmm. oh but picture actual form minna with a shield on her face that's pretty good yeah okay if it's like face only then true form minna is probably the second or third best visual design in this game so yeah face only true form but in terms of how they work in the context of the story i'd say imp midna is this sort of like a beauty and the beast question where it's like do you like beast as the beast better or as the prince nobody likes adam form beast yeah who the hell likes (laughs) adam form now that's not entirely true because adam form beast is relatively hot in a vacuum he's just not beast Anyone who prefers Adam over Beast is a cop. Yikes. <laughs> oh, no. What, what, what's your take on this, Crystal? Um, I like Imp Midna, but Human Midna is pretty. She is very pretty. Yes. But because Imp Midna has so much more screen time and varied uh, expressions and body language, I'll go with Imp Midna. She's allowed to be vicious and all sorts of things that you can't have pretty girls being. Right. Oh, the game would be so interesting if you mapped those expressions onto human Midna's face, though. Okay, we've got another thing here. Uh, It's not a 
question, strictly speaking. It's a statement. It's a statement, and it's something Monica wanted to discuss back in the Wind... Well, just after the Wind Waker episode was recorded that we never got around to talking about. And uh, she had this idea a long time ago when we were talking about the patriarchal status of Daphnis Nohansen Hyrule in the context of Wind Waker. I can't remember how the idea came along, but I think it was just thinking, well, what if... It was like a ghostly Zelda, and it was like, well, no, what if it was a woman? Yes. If Daphne's was a woman. What if Daphne's was a woman? And then, you know, if Daphne's was a woman, then... Be Zelda. It would be Zelda. Yeah, there are no non-Zelda royal figures in this series. And it occurred to me that it, this would actually make the story a bit more um, straightforward, in that it could just be Ocarina of Time Zelda. I think I came up with that part. Yeah, you, you did. Yeah, so it's like we got to the point where we were discussing this idea that all the weird patriarchal overtones of the game would read very differently if Daphnis's role had been filled by a woman. This is just a statement, I guess. It's a statement, but it's also an interesting topic of conversation, I think, because like it feels very different to have a man force a role on a young woman than to have a woman pass down her role to another girl who doesn't necessarily want it. And more significantly, it's somebody who's lived that experience. Yeah. And is just, um, it is just passing down a role which she's actually gone through. It would also make the act of Tetra throwing off the burdens of the past feel more tightly thematic, I think. It also kind of comes off a little less weird when she says that this is what you were made for. Yeah, it does, because that's her speaking to her own experiences. It, she's talking about the fate that she shares, whereas Daphnis has no idea what the fuck in comparison. Yeah, he doesn't get to, you know, shoot the light arrows. and. No, he's not one of the sages <laughs> or anything like that. But then it also would have been the case that Ocarina of Time Zelda would have been the one to destroy the kingdom, maybe. Yeah. That would have been cool. What would she look like as a boat? Same boat. Same boat, I guess. I don't know. The twist would come like a lot with harder. The beard and everything. Yeah. Why not just have it be a dragon? Okay. I, like, I guess you could. Would you rather have the red lion with no beard? I guess. Loftwing. I, yeah, I want. I want a girl boat. Oh, how about a yeah a loftwing boat? How about that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what are they? What are they called? Uh, shoe bills. Yes. Yeah. Shoe bill boat. Yeah, that would work. And then, well, that's a, that was before Skyward Sword, so the importance of the bird on the shield was kind of non-existent. Yeah, but like they still had birds as part of the crest of the Hyrulean royal family as far back as Ocarina of Time. Yeah. So they could base it on that firebird-looking design, and that would be just as good. Yeah. But yeah, we got to talking about it, and we just really like the idea... Because Ocarina of Time Zelda probably has more going on than any other non-Tetra version of Zelda up to this point in the series. And we talked about how in Wind Waker, she was actually the author of... A lot. ...hiding the Triforce of Courage. She must have been. Yes. So this actually cuts down on an extra character. Yes. Sorry, Daphnis. That's okay. I mean, he's... He's, he's fine. He's, he's, he's great. He's really great, but the game would have had very different themes that would be a lot more interesting and less weird to unpack if Daphnis had been a woman, in which case he just would have been Zelda. Oh, and then there would have been a conversation between Ocarina of Time, Zelda, and Ganondorf. Oh, shit. That's right. They would remember each other. Oh, fuck. That would be good. Yeah. I like that. That'd be pretty cool. Oh, fuck. What if Zelda put Ganon in the crystal? Wow. <laughs> sure, yes. Uh, it's like Ganon's defeated and he's inside the rock and she's just like, yeah, how do you like it, motherfucker? <laughs> or the reveal when he's like, ah. Oh, uh, hidden again. Foiled. Foiled <laughs> by this same person. We turned Zelda into the hero of the story somehow. Mm, wow. No, the kids still I have mean, to. She was ultimately probably, you know, like has the Daphnis issue. Where she was unable to let go of Hyrule. Ah, uh, this is and a the fan. Kids have to move on. Somebody, this is a fanfic. Somebody has written this. No, they have somewhere. No, no. Well, please prove us wrong. Yeah, but if y'all know of this fanfic, uh, send in the link to it at bookofmodorapodcast at gmail dot com because we'd love to 
see how this idea was interpreted by people in the past because we can't be the first ones to come up with that and if you do write a fanfic about it starting now that's fine also link it to us yeah also link it to us we'll give you all the kudos on the ao3 and that's That's about it yeah that's about it that's all we've got for that one um and i suppose that i should read shakal draconis's email now Mm -hmm. yeah it's about that time okay now are we going to break this up, or is it just going to be a cam? No, I, I, I can do it. I, I feel like this is two okay. pages printed out. Like I'm, a big strong, I'm a big, strong man, and I've got a good uh, <laughs> reading all at once voice. <clears throat> we can um, possibly take breaks to discuss different segments of it, like break the email up into multiple emails. There are... It also doesn't have to be one take, since we do have the power of editing. We do have the power of editing. It's so strong. Okay, but I'm going to get started on it. Hello, Cameron, Crystal, and Monica. With all the talk during the Wind Waker episodes on the natures of the hero, princess, and villain, I got to thinking how the recurring nature of these entities differ, and think I have a theory-slash-explanation for the podcast to discuss. Now, this email is actually divided into separate sections describing the role of the hero uh the princess and the villain so we'll take little breaks after each one and discuss these parts and then after we're finished with all of them we'll discuss the whole thing at once uh, so starting with the blood of the goddess which Shakal has described as reincarnation which is an interesting word to use here from what we have seen in all the games thus far Especially what we know from Breath of the Wild and Skyward Sword. It seems clear what the blood of the goddess is and what it means. There is a direct matrilineal line of ancestry, from Hylia's first mortal form, being Skyward Sword Zelda, through every princess to carry the title Zelda. All of these Zeldas have the potential to awaken as Hylia reborn. That capacity is within them from birth, and in no others in the world. But a few things should be noted here. First, awakening as Hylia does not make a Zelda cease to be who they were, or make all of them the same person. Tetra never ceased to be Tetra, despite the Red King confusing her into thinking and briefly acting otherwise. They may gain in sacred power, wisdom, and perspective, but those things are simply given in addition to whoever that Zelda was before. Knowledge and potential are what passes from Zelda to Zelda, not a single consciousness or soul. Second, this is a thing which is entirely internal to each Zelda, though what allows each to awaken to her abilities may be different. The realization of the connection to her full family through the true nature of her treasured heirloom, striking out to defend her fallen hero who'd given his life defending hers, or purifying herself and learning of her nature until she felt worthy of the task. And the important thing is that it is only this purely matrilineal line who can be Zelda's, and many may never awaken to it, but each along and only along that single bloodline can. This also means that this is the most vulnerable of the trinity, as if ever the bloodline of the goddess was lost, it could never be recovered again. So, what do we think of this take on uh, the blood of the goddess, so to speak? Um, I don't think it's best characterized by reincarnation. I think that we can take the word reincarnation here, not as arbitrary, but not being reincarnation as most people think of it. Because... Metempsychosis. Could you describe what you mean? Hold on, let me look up the definition for metempsychosis. It is a, it is a Greek term referring to the supposed transmigration at death of the soul of a human being or animal into a new body of the same or a different species. See, I think that's more Link. See, I don't see that either, but... No, that's fine. It's the it's the link thing that you don't subscribe to. Yeah, the link thing is something that I don't subscribe. Yeah, that, yeah. But well, I mostly use the term because it's the term they use in Shin Megami Tensei, the official English translation of which means true goddess metempsychosis. Ah. Well, all the Zeldas seem different to me, and even when they are coming into their powers. They remain different. Mm. They hear, apparently, counsel from some previous Zeldas or Hylia or whatnot, or may. We know that Breath of the Wild Zelda dreamed of Hylia. Right, but that's different from awakening to her, which the only person we know did that, or the only Zelda we know, is 
Skyward Sword Zelda. Who was actually a reincarnation in the more literal sense. Yes. And that she carried over the full memories of the goddess. It's hard for me to separate Zelda from the Japanese imperial family. <laughs> Descended from oh. Amaterasu. Right. Yes, and carried through the blood. I like the idea that what the essence of Hylia is, is not a consciousness or a soul, but rather knowledge and potential. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot like how we tend to interpret uh, the spirit of the hero. Well, some of us do. Um, there is one point here that I think is sort of interesting, and in that for this podcast's reading of the timeline, the matrilineal descent from Hylia's first mortal form only works on one timeline well really it doesn't work for the accursed timeline because we don't know that zelda was ever born in that timeline she still could have been i mean yeah it's clear that she is at some point because the light force the spirit of hylia is definitely passed down and it is definitely matrilineal but we never actually see where it starts so how it got into the world on that timeline is sort of a mystery well hylia still died from her wounds right I think that was the idea, though. She managed to get a lot done while wounded that badly. Well, you know, she's a goddess. Of time. But yeah, it, and that is something to point out. The one thing about this that is important, and I think we've discussed this a little bit on this podcast, we are a very strictly anti-monarchist <laughs> podcast. We don't care about the royal wedding. Get that shit out of our face. But, no, what, do you care about the royal wedding? No. The hats were nice. I guess. I thought they were silly, mostly. Uh Ms. Williams did look very good. Um, Who? Serena Williams. Oh, okay. She had a funny hat. A very nice hat. A very nice funny hat. Mm-hmm. Um, you looked like a bunch of ribbons. But I do think it is interesting that the way that monarchy works in this setting is that if the bloodline is ever lost, it's lost forever because that's the bloodline of the gods and it can't be replaced by someone stepping up to fill the shoes of the royal family. Though maybe also it could. We don't know. It's never been put to the test. But it's also the fantasy royalty where it carries with it such heavy duties. Fantasy monarchy is great. Yeah. Fantasy monarchy allows you to believe that monarchy has your best interests at heart and will sacrifice itself to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. Good stories. <clears throat> the next part is the spirit of the hero, rebirth. The spirit of the hero works very differently from the blood of the goddess. There is not necessarily any direct blood relation with any of the heroes, though as with the one from Ocarina and Twilight, they could be related. Some seem to have been fated from an early age, others almost blunder into their role, but in all cases, save Twilight Princess, anyone could have been chosen by fate to be the hero. The important thing is that the role of hero is one that is improvised and acquired by the hero externally. There isn't some family or nature that a Link must have to be chosen to be the hero. Anyone could be chosen. But being chosen is also not enough. Each Link is made to forge and test themselves, facing tasks and challenges to outwardly prove their worth to be the hero. I specifically term this rebirth for a few reasons. First, Link taking on the spirit of the hero is similar to the Christian idea of being reborn upon taking into oneself the Holy Spirit. There's also an element that each time a Link takes on a spirit of the hero, that spirit itself is reborn, reinvigorated within them. Wind Waker makes for a particularly interesting case, though. It appears that when Ocarina of Time Zelda sent Link into his own past and split the timeline, he actually took the spirit of the hero with him, specifically the same spirit which had passed and been taken on by Link after Link from Skyward So- Oh, I'm sorry by Link after Link from Skyward Sword up until that time. So when Ganon showed up to attack Hyrule, with everyone expecting the hero with the spirit to just appear, everything fell apart, requiring the flooding of Hyrule to delay Ganon's victory. Years later, in the events of Wind Waker, what we're seeing, for the first time since Skyward Sword, is the creation of a new spirit of the hero, this one formed by the courage and heroism of Wind Waker's Link. And hence by the end, as Ganon says, the spirit of the hero has been reborn. This also means that while it's possible for the spirit of the hero to be lost, like the bloodline of the goddess, it can also be reborn and made again, and so can't be truly lost forever. A quick note with Breath of the Wild. The naming of the Shrine of Resurrection was poor here, as Zelda makes it clear that if Link dies, they'll lose him forever. 
I don't see this as they would lose the spirit. A new link could have been chosen and taken on the spirit. But the individual that is the Breath of the Wild link would have been lost. Resurrection is something different, as we'll now cover. Um, we'll come back to that sentence as I read the next part. I like the comparison of the hero spirit to the Holy Spirit. That is true. It seems to take the hero spirit as a constantly existing thing which enters into a person once they become worthy of it. Unless they're sent back in time. I guess the hero spirit is like a traveling thing that moves between people in this interpretation. I think in Wind Waker, they were just outright expecting the hero of time. That is textual, yes. They did expect Link from Ocarina of Time to show up and fight Ganon because he travels through time. He could appear anywhere. Yeah. So perhaps it's not that the rebirth was messed up. It's just that no one took... No one took the call to action because they thought someone else was coming. That was always my interpretation. The use of the word rebirth is very close to reincarnation here, where it's a single spirit that moves between different people, which is closer to Monica's interpretation of it, I think. And Crystal's? Crystal? Yeah, this this is fairly close to my interpretation. Yeah. I still differ from it, but that's fine. That's okay. We can have diverging ideas. Yeah, although... I do agree with Monica here that the background of Wind Waker definitely suggests that they were expecting Ocarina of Time Link in particular, not uh, any hero who has the spirit. They were looking for the hero of time to show up with the Master Sword and shoot Ganon in the face with light arrows. And it didn't happen because he would have been dead by now, but also he was gone from the timeline altogether. It's interesting to wonder about why it just didn't work out that one time, though, but I guess... Sometimes in Hyrule, that just happens. It has to happen sometimes, though only very rarely. Um, I, I, I tend to chalk it up to expectations that people expected the hero to save them, and so they did not fight to save themselves. Is that also what happened in the hundred years ago in Breath of the Wild? What do you mean? They expected the machines to come through for them better. Um, No. We'll talk about that more in the Breath of the Wild episode, but I don't think that's what happened there. I think that in Breath of the Wild everything turned out exactly wrong for them. Oh, right. And Link was not strong enough to turn the tide on his own. It's funny, because even if Zelda had had all of her power when Ganon first appeared, it's not clear that she would have been able to turn the tide either, and the enormity of their loss may have been even worse. Perhaps it was fates that the Kingdom of Hyrule needed to be destroyed. Maybe. You know, Those goddesses suck. We're going to have an entire episode about things that happened before the opening of Breath of the Wild, because there's so much to talk about going on in the past there. Is it going to happen when that book releases? Um, no, because I don't take a lot of what's in the book as being canon, though a great deal of it is very, very interesting and uh, builds a lot more on concepts that are only hinted at, like the identity of the Berserker tribe. That's pretty cool. I want to read that. We're talking about the Breath of the Wild Masterworks. Which, which is translated as The Making of a Champion. I don't think it's getting released until like next year or something. No, no, no. I think it's coming out in like September or December, isn't it? Give us a second while we look this up. I know we've got it on order. Mm-hmm. Delivery date pending. Hold on. No one knows. November 20th of this year. Oh, see? That's a very good time. That's that's a very Zelda-style release date. Yes. Yeah, it makes me think of, uh, oh my god, it's getting released on the 20th anniversary of Ocarina of Time. You nerd. Shut up! You know it's true. Yes. 30th anniversary of Zelda 2. Oh, that's true too. Wait, I thought Zelda 2... America's release date. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, I share a birthday with Zelda 2. Um, okay, so... To recap just a little bit here, uh, this is the last section of the email, and I'm going to reread that last paragraph before heading forward. A quick note with Breath of the Wild, the naming of the Shrine of Resurrection was poor here, as Zelda makes clear that if Link dies, they'll lose him forever. I don't see this as they would lose the spirit. A new Link could have been chosen and taken on the spirit, but the individual that is the Breath of the Wild Link would have been lost. She's very concerned about that actual link, though. Oh, absolutely, because she's in love with him. Resurrection is something different, as we'll now cover. It's my opinion that Link died. That makes perfect sense to me. He seemed hella dead. 
Now, I remember you had a theory during the Thor Ragnarok episode that when Bruce Banner fell on the bridge, he in fact actually died. <laughs> yeah! Now, I rewatched a similar scene in The Incredible Hulk recently, and he definitely actually died there and was resurrected by the Hulk. How did he die? He made an even bigger jump out of a helicopter and landed on the concrete of Harlem, New York. Oh, that... Which was Toronto. <laughs> was, was it not... Was it played straight? I mean, there was a very big hole where there was no hole quite yet, and it kind of lingered on it for several seconds. And as Bruce was jumping out of the plane, he was like, oh shit, I'm not transforming. Uh-oh. Ow. That sounds very bad. I thought this was going to be like a Princess Bride thing where Link is mostly dead, but he's not, what is it, fully dead? Yeah, it's like there's dead, and then there's dead. Um, I could buy into the idea that Link died because his wounds were really bad, and they had to carry him all the way from Fort Hiteno to the Great Plateau. And that's a long way. That's a day's ride on horse. So maybe they is, brought him back to life and the shrine just kept the spirit or <laughs> whatever safely in and not traveling to some sort of baby 10 miles away. You were saying, Crystal? And the path from Fort Hateno to uh, the Great Plateau is the heart of enemy territory. Yeah, there's an awful lot of Guardians and Ganons in and that How the direction. heck do they get up there? The Sheikah have many techniques. They had a lot of Oxrock balloons. I maybe that's a good question that I don't have any answers to. They but... stacked, <laughs> they stacked something magnesisable onto something else magnesisable. No, here's the thing. Um, when the Sheikah go climbing, they actually use climbing equipment. Oh yeah, that works. Yeah, so they're able to scale things that you couldn't reasonably scale by hand. Oh, I love everything about the backstory to Breath of the Wild because this is like the most powerful that Link has ever been on a physical level, but he was too weak to win the fight when it really mattered, and I love that shit so much. Oh, it's so good. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I got us a little bit distracted there. This last part. The Curse of Demise. Resurrection. As has been noted, the Curse of Demise appears to be intended as the origin of the recurring threats on the peaceful reign of the Bloodline's rule, and the need for the Spirit's chosen heroes, the Bloodline being the Zeldas and the Spirit of the Chosen Heroes being the Lynx. Also, I don't know about the Chosen thing. We'll talk about that later, I guess. I also like the proposed idea that it is in Skyward Sword that the third timeline splits. Oh, thank you. But a close look at the circumstances surrounding the creation of the curse itself might reveal a hint of why big bads in Zelda games just keep coming back. First, looking at the circumstance where the curse itself is made. When Link enters the Dark Portal to start the battle with Demise, he is taken to some place in time distinctly elsewhere. A perfectly flat world of still water, with endless sky above. This doesn't look like any place else in the game. The only similar case in the entire series would be the Shadow Link Room in the Ocarina of Time Water Temple. In many mythologies, this setting, a place of endless water with a serene sky above, is often shown to be the original state of the world, how things were before creation itself started. I think there's actually a few passages in Genesis that suggest the same thing. In this way, we could say that the Demise Battle is jumping back further in time, to before even the arrival of the goddesses, or instead is happening outside of time, and such a primeval state is the best representation thereof. If the great binding tie through the whole series is the eternal struggle between Hylia and Demise, and those doomed to follow their legacy, and Tylia had some power over time and destiny, it would not be too shocking if Demise had similar capabilities. If the curse does take place in either the far past, or outside of time, then while a distinct accursed timeline may have been created, it would still be understandable for the curse to exist on all timelines. Further, it almost appears as though Demise is able to piggyback off of Hylia's own power to reinforce the curse. In her prediction, and ordaining that her reincarnation and the hero's spirit would appear whenever the forces of evil became too strong and broke free of their shackles, she actually created half of the cycle herself. Demise was able to just complete that circuit, making it so incarnations of his hatred would appear, requiring the blood of the goddess and the spirit of the hero to also appear again and again. And as he said, his hatred never perishes. No big bad in a Zelda game, even Demise, has ever truly been destroyed. We're going to come back to this. And they have been imprisoned, they have been sealed, some have even been killed. 
But as we've seen with the resurrection of Ganon and the other big bads, even death itself can't destroy an incarnation of Demise, including Demise himself, forever sealed within the Master's sword, but not actually gone. And thus we come to the third form of recurrence, Resurrection. No Link, Zelda, or any other good person in Zelda history has ever been reincarnated through the acts of fellow mortals. Breath of the Wild, Zelda is distraught and must hurry Link to the Shrine of Resurrection, again badly named, to keep him from dying. Otherwise, they will lose him forever. Yet Ganon, no matter how many times, or with whatever divine tools, has ever been killed so thoroughly that witches and worshippers couldn't bring him back. Anything that can be resurrected is not truly lost, and so the incarnations of Demise's hate are eternal. Final quick note, the end of Link to the Past indicates a number of people being brought back to life through the power of Link's wish. I'm acknowledging that here, but that was a specific one-time event invoking the engine of creation. It's not an inherent part of the nature of the beings involved, unlike the undestroyability of the villains of the Zelda series. Sorry for the super long email, but I hope these concepts inspire some interesting discussions for the podcast. Never apologize for a super long email. We'll read it in its entirety. <laughs> well, this one's awfully chunky, but never apologize anyway. Never feel guilty for getting us to engage. Don't. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I, I like the idea that the the place where you fight demise is outside time or perhaps before the creation of time itself. I was 100% planning to talk about this in the Skyward Sword episode, but Demise does actually have a line. I don't have the text dump right in front of me. But what he says in particular is that he has been waiting eons since his defeat at Hylia's hands. Even though, from mortal reckoning, the final battle with Demise happens what is called very shortly after Demise's original fight. So he experiences time in a way that is not strictly linear, which is very interesting. And it does place him as being the opposite of Hylia, or else his imprisoning at Hylia's hands may have kept him trapped in some kind of time thing. Might have been trying to erode him through just time dilation. Maybe. The thing about the undestroyability of the villains of the Zelda series, and this is one of the core foundations of the Accursed Timeline, is that undestroyability is really only observed in Pig Ganon. Yeah, the thing is that in in the Accursed Timeline, Ganon is immortal. But every other Zelda villain is only killed once. And even in the non-Accursed Timeline, Ganon only ever dies one time in Twilight Princess, and he doesn't come back from that shit. We're not putting Four Swords Adventures after. No, Four Swords Adventures is on the Accursed yes, Timeline. we're just putting this for people who didn't listen to that episode. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because who yes. listens to the Four Swords Adventures episode? Yes. Uh, to remind our listeners, or anyone who hasn't listened to it before, we place Four Swords Adventures on the Accursed Timeline, uh, which is where most of the series takes place. It explains for why they don't recognize Ganon. But Ganondorf. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of the reasons they don't recognize Ganondorf, because there has been no Ganondorf before on this timeline. But, yeah, the thing is, uh, villains in... Zelda aren't really indestructible. When they die, they die for real. Even Demise, he's not trapped in the Master's Sword. Phi describes the Master's Sword as slowly burning away the essence of his soul. So Demise is gone. His curse remains as an echo of his voice and his hatred, but Demise never reincarnates. It's totally apart from him once he speaks those words. At least that's how I see it. I like the idea of this piggybacking of Hylia's original assertion that there would be someone to challenge, you know, evil. Is that what Hylia said? I don't know. I don't. I, ha- think- I would have to review the... I don't think that's ever actually said in Skyward Sword. Hylia only plans for one specific instance because Demise being free is an inevitability. I just like the idea as posited by Draconis. Yeah, it it's is. It's a neat, like, the idea of a a spell, essentially, and then a twisting of that spell. It's a very nice idea. Like Hylia placing Demise in the nexus of time to trap him in the only place he could be trapped also gives him the medium he needs to spread his curse throughout all time. Yeah, that's neat. It, I, I don't know if it has textual support, but it is a neat idea. It is a very neat idea. Link me to that fanfic. Again. What's your thoughts on this, Crystal? 
yeah, like you said, when the villains die in Zelda, they, they tend to be gone for good. This applies to Ganondorf, Bellum, uh, Maladus, yep. uh, the hatred of the Skull Kid, yep. <laughs> uh, Vati, Twin Rova, Twin Rova, both timelines, Orocks, uh, Orocks, sure. Onyx? Is it Onox or Orox? <laughs> One of those. I don't remember. Shit. Um, and also, what's her name? Varen. Yeah, Varen. Easier to remember name. Is it? Then O R or N Orox. Uh. I had to use these. Oh, it's Pig Ganon is the only one where he is definitely for real killed from being hit with the sword, and then he comes back anyway. Yeah, like turns into ashes. When everybody else dies, they get exploded or dissolve into light or whatever. We never see them again. Ganon has been killed and exploded and burned down to red ashes and obliterated with the Triforce, and it's just accepted that he will come back, and that doesn't really apply to anyone else. Ganon's existence in the timeline is wholly singular, I think. The way that Zelda kills Ganon in Breath of the Wild seems like perhaps the most thorough killing of him that there's ever been, but even then she still accepts that he will come back. It's like he's, it's so thorough looking, like, He's enveloped in this light which collapses into a Triforce-powered singularity and then winks out of existence. He'll be back. And she's like, well, he's gone for now. But it's such a complete destruction and sealing off that it almost reads like she didn't specifically kill him. She sealed him inside the Triforce. Because one thing we've established about truly, genuinely, no-fooling, immortal beings like Ganon is that killing them is actually much, much less effective than sealing them away. Yes. You kill him, he might be back in five years. You seal him away, he could be gone for 10,000. They need to write a long manual on, like, effective Ganon management. Oh, like, it would be like the uh, stone lore yes. in, in the fifth season. Everyone within the sound of my voice, read the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. It's a really good fantasy series. She just won the Nebula for the third book. Oh, that's so good. That third book was fantastic. Wow. It's so good. Anyway, they can and it use- fits with it fits with how they refer to Ganon as a calamity. Because even if you had some kind of anti-tornado device it's not gonna prevent every tornado tornado is gonna keep coming yeah the earthquake will continue there will be mudslides he seems more like a bacterial infection you can you can like get vaccines no no but like a very quickly evolving bacteria oh he's super bug he's a super bug and you you use penicillin but then he gets penicillin resistant and then you start just dousing him in alcohol, which is the Triforce, and it turns out, um, no, 1% survived, and now it's alcohol-resistant. I don't know if you can be alcohol-resistant. You actually can. There are some, Really? There are some superbugs. Uh, they have to start out alcohol-resistance, because that's not really something you can evolve. But if they have a strong enough, uh, it's like a, not quite a mucus layer, but their membrane, if they don't get punctured by the alcohol, they can live through it. Can they be fire resistant? No. Can not, they be diatomaceous earth resistant? I I don't I don't oh, know. Wait, that's for bugs. That's I I don't know. I don't think they can be fire resistant. Nothing is fire resistant. But you know what I'm saying is that Ganon, he's it's real bad. It's as bad as it's ever been. Um, the lines between resurrection, rebirth, and reincarnation are all interesting here. But I think resurrection is definitely the best thing to apply to Ganon. But Here's the thing, is that Breath of the Wild Link is resurrected in exactly the same sense that Ganon is in Breath of the Wild. They're even kept inside the exact same chamber, if you look at the Chamber of Rebirth. The only difference being that Link's big globule of amniotic fluid is blue, whereas Ganon's is purple. Ah, Breath of the Wild is good. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm thinking about Ganon as a parasite. And he is kind of like the Flood with the way he takes over people's dead bodies. Oh, yeah. As is our theory. Yeah, I'm not sure if I necessarily ascribe to that theory anymore after the battles that you can go through in the uh, Ballad of the Champions. But it's still very interesting. Yeah, it does still feel like that, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like he might be taking over dead people's bodies. But we're allowed to change our minds on that shit. 
Anyway, we're at the end of that. Thank you for the email, Draconis. Um, everybody can feel free to send in the size of any size email they want. But if you send in one this big, it might take us a bit to get around to it. So, fair warning. And is it time to talk about Kingdom Hearts? Cameron, tell me your summary of Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2. Okay. So, to put this into context for our listeners, it is said, I don't know if I necessarily believe it, that Kingdom Hearts 3 is supposed to come out this year. Is it this year? That It's 2018, yes. Okay. And, um... For a lot of people, it's important to be completely caught up on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, which is known to be very complex in the context of lots of fantasy-style stories. Crystal, would you say that Kingdom Hearts lore is more complex than our attempts to unify the Zelda timeline? Oh, yes, for sure. Okay. Now, the thing is, I've only played two Kingdom Hearts games, and they were both 15 years or not... Not more, but about 15 years ago for the older one. And Monica has never played a Kingdom Hearts game. I've played like 10% of the first one. Right. And when we go into Kingdom Hearts 3 this year, because we undoubtedly will, we're going to be doing it very close to having no experience or context whatsoever. Which I think will be interesting. Because you can always come back with full knowledge of what's going on and understand the game differently. But this ability to experience it almost completely unsullied by lore knowledge is only a chance we're going to have one time. So that's what we're going to do. It's like how I played MGS4. Yes, it's like how you played MGS4, but on purpose. What's more complicated, Metal Gear Solid or Kingdom Hearts? Kingdom Hearts. Is it really that fucking complicated? Yes. Huh. I mean, our accursed timeline and linking all of this together is also pretty complicated. We have what's called an Aneroverse. Camera, they introduced time travel in the 3DS game. Oh, no. Like genuine time travel? Oh, yes. That makes everything so much worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, so what I remember of the first Kingdom Hearts goes a little bit like this. There is an island where all these kids are and it's never explained why these kids live here i think it's sort of a peter pan kind of thing and i remember that the main character character sora lives there along with his good friend riku and kairi the girl's name is kairi and she is girl but also waka from final fantasy 10 is there Mm-hmm. And he's 10 years old in this context for some reason. I can't remember if he's voiced by John DiMaggio, but I doubt it. Um, who else was it that lived on that island? Uh, there was Selfie from FF8. Oh, no, yeah, Selfie was there. What the fuck is going on? There was Titus from FFX. It's carefree people. It, oh, yeah, it's the carefree nonsense brigade. And uh, also the main characters of Kingdom Hearts. Oh, oh, they, oh it's only... One third of them being girls is pretty much the standard JRPG gender divide, I guess. So I never understood exactly why I was like that. And then I remember that out of the sea, there's like this spread of darkness. And the darkness takes away Riku and Kairi. And then Goofy and Donald are there. And Sora has a Keyblade. And they decide that they need to rescue... Uh, Riku and Kairi, but only as an after effect of addressing the spread of darkness, which is affecting all the Disney worlds. Wasn't there like a stained glass window of the princesses and then like simple and clean place? Oh, I'm getting to it. Okay. Well, no, actually, I'm not getting to it because I don't remember the intro at all. What are you talking about? Simple and clean. That's a tutorial of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, isn't that just the opening? It doesn't really. Yeah, simple and clean is the opening. Then Sora wakes up in the mysterious dream world with uh, stained glass windows. Okay. No, I don't remember that part, so it didn't happen for the purposes of this uh, recollection here. And I think he meets Mickey, and Mickey sends him on the quest, and he runs off with Goofy and Donald. And I'll be right back. Yeah, Monica's going to be right back, which is fine. Um, so <laughs> you can tell that I'm struggling to remember what's going on here. But the basic understanding of it is that there's this darkness moving throughout the universe, and if the darkness infects you, it rips out your heart, which is basically your life force or your soul. Like, your personality and your memories are carried in your heart. No, 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 no. 
Oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go with me here. You can correct me after we're done. But regardless, the, if you get infected by the darkness, your heart comes out, and the darkness takes your heart, and you be- and your heart becomes a heartless. Or, no, it's without your heart you become a heartless. That's it. That, that would make better sense linguistically. And this darkness has destroyed many Disney worlds and also a couple of bullshit uh, Square Enix worlds that nobody cares about nearly as much. And the Hundred Acre Woods has been scattered throughout the many different worlds as a bunch of series of pages because for some reason the Hundred Acre Woods is a book within this setting where all the other Disney locales are actually physical places. And all the girls in the game are mostly Disney princesses who are important because they have, I'm going to call them crystal hearts or some shit like that. Like the heart, the pure hearts, they're the pure hearts. And these are very important hearts because they can expunge the darkness, but they've all been captured by the darkness, which is being headed by uh, Maleficent and somebody I can't fucking remember. Is that Zenmus? Xenohort? It's Pete. What? Pete. Oh, Pete was there. Also, you're sounding a lot quieter right now. Uh, let me adjust my game. Okay, and uh, how's my volume? Yours is good. Okay, good. So Pete and Maleficent are helping to spread the darkness, and Sora and Goofy and Donald fly between worlds in a gummy ship. I forget what the explanation of the gummy ship was. I can't remember if the gummy bears are a Disney property, but I think they are. They are not. They're not. Okay, so what the hell is the gummy ship? It's just the ship made of gummies. Okay, sure. Whatever. It's like an RPG gummy ship built by Chip and Dale, the Rescue Rangers. And they use the gummy ship to pass freely between the different worlds so they can go through the darkness. And they defeat all the Disney bad guys who are big on the darkness. And they beat up all these Heartless. And at the end, they end up going to the heart of the darkness and Sephiroth and Cloud are there, and they're fighting Heartless, I think. Uh, Hollow Bastion is the name of one of the worlds, and that's where all the Final Fantasy characters hang out. Mm-hmm. And also it's where you meet Beast, and Beast is the strongest uh, assistant character in the history of video games who just destroys all these really powerful enemies because he knows that Bell is in there, and he's going to fuck some people up until he gets Bell back, which is good. That's good character motivation if you have to turn all of disney's most popular characters into literal damsels in distress in a way that even their own stories didn't fucking do <laughs> well they didn't well they didn't and uh so Sora goes through and he rescues the disney princesses but it turns out that Kyrie is also one of the hearts of light and she's basically an honorary Disney princess, which means that she's kept in a sleeping capsule or some bullshit. I don't remember what. And to free Kyrie from being held by the darkness, he Sora gives his own heart to wake up Kyrie, which turns him into a heartless. And he runs around for a while as a heartless. But in the end, Kyrie like shoves his heart back into his chest or some shit, and he turns back into himself. And then they all fly off, and they fight Chernabog. And then, hold on, I'm not done yet. And somewhere in here, they talk to Yen Sid, which is the name that they've given to the wizard from Mickey in that Fantasia short where he runs around and brings all the brooms to life. The magician's apprentice. Uh, the magician is called Yen Sid because that's Disney backwards. And that, that is his canonical name from before this game. Where did we get his name? I'm not sure, but I know that existed before Kingdom Hearts. You know that they didn't talk in Fantasia. Right. So it definitely wasn't from there because they didn't have any reason to credit a voice actor for a guy. Okay, let me look this up now. Actually, I used to think that he was like, you know, Merlin because the way that Yen Sid was portrayed was very similar to Merlin from The Sword in the Stone. Um, I'm not sure where this name came from, but it... hmm. I feel like I never heard it until I played Kingdom Hearts. Well, he was a fairly obscure character until Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Did you manage to find it? Uh, maybe he wasn't named until Kingdom Hearts. Well, that- no, 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 no. The first appearance of the name Yen Sid was in a 1940 screenplay, Walt Disney's Fantasia, written by Deems Taylor. Damn it. That 1940s, very old. That's 60, oh God, only 60 years before Kingdom Hearts came out. You know Kingdom Hearts, 
I played that first game before a sizable chunk of the target audience was even born. Like, the, uh-huh. the target audience for Kingdom Hearts 3 is younger than my experience playing these games. That's correct. Which is fucked. How are they going to go back and play these old games? They're all on PS4 now. I suppose they are. Well, I would play them, but I think that would really spoil the experience. So, Yen Sid had an apprentice. Um, I think his name was Xenohort. Or Zenmus. Anyway, this guy is a heartless... But it's not revealed in this game. I think that was revealed in Kingdom Hearts 2. Anyway, um, you have to go after him because he's spreading the darkness. And at some point, um, I think he betrays Maleficent. And she's attacked by the darkness. And that makes her turn into a, like a, her heartless form of herself. Which is just her dragon form, really. And then you beat up Maleficent. And it's like, okay, off we go. And then you fly off to the final battle. And the final battle, first you have to fight Chernabog, also from Fantasia. And that's the best moment in the entire game when you're flying toward the mountain. And then Night on Bald Mountain starts up and the mountain moves. And it shows Sora like, oh my fucking god, are you kidding me? And I'll always remember that shot. It was actually really good, especially back in 2003. And then after you fight Chernabog, um, you get to fly through. And then you fight Xenohort. And Xenohort has all the darkness, which allows him to turn into the Devil Gundam's final form from the ending of G Gundam. And he basically looks like a Star Destroyer with a little tiny human part up near the top. That's what I remember. And don't tell me I've got that wrong. I know that I'm right. It's like a one-winged angel, but much bigger and sillier looking. Okay. Let's see. And uh, then you defeat Xenohort, and you find out that he was doing all this stuff to harness the power of people's hearts to access kingdom hearts which is kind of framed as being the source of all hearts in the universe so he's basically trying to get the triforce what i miss nothing okay and um he can't get there and it's the light of kingdom hearts that obliterates him if i'm remembering don't correct me if i'm wrong and that's the end of that. And Mickey's like, oh, hey, everybody, I'm Mickey, and we got more adventuring to go on, and that's when you go into the Kingdom Hearts 2. And anyway, that's what happened. You only got through the first game. <laughs> I remember more of the first game than I do the second one for reasons that are about to become very obvious. Because the first game and the events that take place within it, even, like, I think I can be forgiven for remembering only as little as I do and as only as correctly as I do because I played that game literally 15 years ago once. And the part that I remember most clearly is fighting Sephiroth in the Olympus-themed world because the fight with the Ice Titan and the Rock Titan and Sephiroth are the parts that I spent the longest time on. And I don't think I ever fought the secret boss that was in the clock tower my friend Corey didn't he actually called that guy harder than sephiroth was but i never got to test that anyway that's that's kingdom hearts one that's what happened in kingdom hearts one um nothing of importance and disney princesses don't get to do anything even though they're by far the most recognizable characters that you could even theoretically put into this first kingdom hearts game and kingdom hearts 2 starts off with you playing as roxas now, Roxas starts off in this weird shadow world, which is theoretically cohesive, but not really. And the whole thing about Roxas is he's basically moving through the game's tutorial, which is fairly long, but not too long. It, it, you're, you're meant to take it at a pace where it's like, okay, I'm just playing the game. Because if you get it where it's like, no, I want to play Zord, run around with Donald and Goofy, then you're going to have a bad time with the opening of Kingdom Hearts 2. But if you take it as what it is i remember it actually being pretty fun moving around through the world is fun and get to do relatively fun activities and i remember that this is the first time that i ever noticed that the money in kingdom hearts is just called money m-u-n-n-y for some reason i didn't notice that in the first game and roxas's whole thing is about realizing that he's not a person and that he's not alive and reaching the end of the prologue basically because it sends him off into non-existence because he was the part of Sora that manifested when Sora's heart was taken out. But he's not Sora. Sora was the little heartless dude who was running around. But he's basically Sora, which is why Roxas's name is an anagram. Is that the word anagram? A rearranging of the letters? Uh-huh. It's an anagram of Sora with an X stuck in there. Which means that anyone with an X in their name is probably a nobody. 
which is the form that your heart takes when it's removed from you. Mm. You know, that's hearing this for the first time, it sounds like somebody's on, on some sort of a substance. I'm going to leave that part out. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, I mean, yeah, you're not even wrong, because they were definitely on adrenaline when they were writing this shit. Somebody's, nobody's, everybody's, yeah, some anybody's. Heartless, nobodies, and people are the three basic states of being. Um, what about the sometimes? What are, what are sometimes? Sometimes they're one, and sometimes they're the other. I. That sounds like a fucking Lewis Carroll joke. Sure. Uh, you do go to Alice in Wonderland in the first Kingdom Hearts, and I remember that part of the game being not as fun as the rest of it, though I can't remember exactly why. So anyway, um, Roxas ceases to exist at the start of the prologue, and the girl in the white dress, who I think is related to Kyrie in some way, basically uh, ushers him into non-being... And then Sora wakes up, and what a lot of people consider the actual start of the game start. Monica has left. She's lying down now. <laughs> and, um, let's see. Oh, Cameron. What? You've gotten a lot wrong. That's fine. I think that just means that I'm even more right than I would have been anyway. The particulars of the metaphysics of Kingdom Hearts will, I'm sure, make themselves clear to me when I play through Kingdom Hearts 3. Okay. And I don't mean that... Okay, can I just say one thing to clarify what a nobody and a heartless is? I know that you really, really, really want to correct me on this, so I'm tempted to say no, but go ahead. Okay, so I know this is a bit confusing. A nobody is a body without a heart. A heartless is a heart without a body. Crystal. Uh-huh. That is the goddamned stupidest thing. <laughs> Can you imagine the series Bible? Oh, the series Bible for this has to be very interesting or else completely non-existent. Um, Monica, I'm just going to repeat what Crystal just said. A nobody is a body with no heart. A heartless is a heart less a body. <laughs> yeah, Monica's losing her shit. It's a good series. It's a very good series. Anyway, yeah, I love it. Is that is that are, are we about done with like the like all I got really wrong was the nomenclature, right? No, you got other stuff wrong. That's the main thing I wanted to clarify. Okay, so the rest of the game I don't remember nearly as well as I remember the first game. In fact, I don't remember how it ends. I remember. That there's this organization, uh, Organization 13, which you would assume is made up of 13 people, but isn't. I'm just going to say that it's not made up of 13 people. It's XII for some esoteric reason that isn't revealed in Kingdom Hearts 2. What is it, baby? Extra I? Oh, I'm sorry. XIII. Yes. XIII for an esoteric reason that I don't understand. Probably something to do with the teeth on a key. Or it's like XIII is the nobody of the number three. <laughs> These are all the nobodies of organization three. That's the explanation that I've... Oh, Monica's losing it real bad over there. She can't take it. <laughs> okay, so... Um, and Roxas is also a member of organization 13, but he's non-existent at this point, so that doesn't matter. But there's this guy, Axel, who's not really a character so much as he is like a walking particular set of attitudes. And you end up having to fight all the people from Organization 13. And also Maleficent's back, even though I totally fucking killed her in that first game. And then you fight her, uh, and you fight the Organization 13, and you have to fight like three or four of them at the same time. And there's these sequences where you have to shoot them with your Keyblade, because this had like turret sequences with your Keyblade for some fucking reason. And Mickey shows up at one point and does a Yoda. Mm -hmm. And anyway, that's Kingdom Hearts 2. It doesn't really have an ending. There was no. There's one more thing I want to clarify, which is actually. It's not actually in the game. It's actually something that Nomura recently said. Oh, what did Nomura say? Now, this is something that had been implied in the games, but was not quite clear until he just said it. But you did not kill Maleficent. Because the concept of death does not exist in the Kingdom Hearts universe. Okay, that's the second stupidest goddamn thing. Nobody dies in Kingdom Hearts. Monica, you did not kill Maleficent in the first game. Because death doesn't exist in the Kingdom Hearts universe. Nobody dies in Kingdom Hearts. 
the look she's giving me and the flaring of her nostrils says she's having trouble processing this. I don't remember. <laughs> she was definitely in it, but you didn't get to the part of the game where, that she was in. She's like the, not penultimate, but she's like the third from last boss. Top-tier She's the best Disney villain that they've got. There's no question. And I remember thinking that they didn't use her nearly as well as they should have. But anyway, um, Maleficent was dead, but then she's not. And I don't care what Nomura says. Word of God doesn't mean anything to me. Though that's as good an explanation as any. That people just don't die. So what are the stakes? I guess everybody becomes heartless. But anyway, Organization 13, they're all nobodies. Both in the sense that they are uh, bodies with no hearts. And that I can't figure out why I'm supposed to care about them. But the fans care about Organization 13 and the Nobodies a lot. And there's that one blue-haired girl who's in all the commercials. But she has a Nobody that's in Organization 13. But also she's a Keyblade Master. And also Riku featured in the first game. I forgot to mention that part. He turns bad and he's running around with like Pete and Maleficent. And you have to fight him in Kingdom Hearts 2 as well. And I think he might be the second to last boss. And anyway, that game didn't have an ending. And any- I mean, it did have No, an it ending. didn't. You don't understand, it, Crystal. If I don't remember it, it didn't fucking happen. Uh, yeah, Riku is Sasuke. Yeah, Riku is Sasuke. In fact, I've never seen Naruto, but I've heard that. No, uh, actually, yeah. Why don't you come over here, baby? You, Monica, also has an explanation for the events of Kingdom Hearts, and I hope that she remembers exactly what she said when she described it last time. Uh, baby, why don't you go ahead and tell him? Okay. Um. There are three kids on an island. Yep, just three. There is Genki Boy. Genki Boy, yeah. There is Sasuke. Sasuke, yeah. And there is Sora from Digimon. Or Kairi from Digimon? It could be Sora or Kairi. I never from, actually watched Digimon. From Digimon. She just bears a resemblance to one of the Digi characters. Did she have the same voice actor as one of them? Maybe, but visually very similar. Um, then Sasuke goes missing, and I guess the girl does too, but she's not important. And, like, the entirety of the first Kingdom Hearts is a Sasuke retrieval arc. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, he is super more focused on uh, Riku than he is on Kairi after the first game. Because in the first game, you rescue Kairi, and then she never matters again. And then, um, you get the stained glass window sequence and simple and clean place. I don't know what you're talking about, but go on. <laughs> And then you get to um, the place with the nice jazz music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then you fly around on a gummy ship you later have to design, only I never really proceeded to design it. Oh, I liked it. The gummy ship, you could break those sequences so hard. And then some Disney characters show up. Some. I guess some Final Fantasy characters show up, but not the ones you really care about. Oh, I mean, if you were a Kingdom Hearts fan at the time, then yes, these were very much the ones you cared about. And then there was... Maybe plot. Vivi! Vivi was on the island. Was he? Yay. I don't think oh. so. Shut up! Vivi was totally <laughs> on the island. Or else he was some... I know Leon was one of the main characters in the first game from Final Fantasy. Yeah, Leon was in Hollow Bastion, but Vivi, he was either in the first one or the second one, but I know I've seen him. But there weren't any... There's no FF9 characters because Nomura didn't work on that game. I know that I've seen Vivi. Worth- well, you're wrong. <laughs> Were there FF like six characters? No, or no, no, no. Four. Though that's interesting because Nomura, Nomura did actually design Gogo in Final Fantasy VI. I think no, it wasn't Gogo. It was Setzer. Okay. Anyway. Oh, oh um, man, Setzer is such a Nomura. Design. Plot may have happened, but then plot may not have happened. Right. Kingdom Hearts. That's that's all I remember. And anyway, we're... Vivi was in Kingdom Hearts too. Okay then. And then we transition directly into Kingdom Hearts 3, and who knows how that's going to open, especially given that Kingdom Hearts 2 didn't really have an ending, so we'll see. Crystal, what if they just retcon everything? I don't think they would. Like, all the, like, not everything, but, like, major plot points about heart or bodiless. Oh, oh, I hope they do. It'll be very upsetting. I don't think they would do that again. It won't matter. I mean... We are basically, me and Monica are, uh, mostly me, Monica can't be forced to care by anything, and she will be (laughs) suffering for my pleasure to get through this playthrough, but I'm basically that pro ZD video of him watching Kingdom Hearts trailers, where it's doing all the square stuff, and it's like, and then they get like one word out of Pixar characters, and they're like, yeah, get them! So in Mushroom Kingdom Hearts... (laughs) Oh, man. Mushroom Kingdom Hearts is something that I want so much more than just Kingdom Hearts. This is an idea that I've been pitching since 2006. Mushroom Kingdom Hearts, which is Nintendo handling Disney properties. 
And there probably shouldn't be any extra characters, just Nintendo yeah. and Disney. No, no, no OCs for this particular. Oh my fucking god! You could have a Ganondorf and Maleficent team up, and they backstab each other at exactly the same time. It would be so good. They fit. Shut up! Don't look at me like that. Anyway, that's Kingdom Hearts. Everybody, we'll see you for Kingdom Hearts three. Cameron. I got nothing. What do you want <laughs> from me? Find you online. You can find me online on Twitter at CamWriter. You can find me at Arcane Crystal on Twitter. You can find me on the Let's Plays podcast on AudioEntropy.com, where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game according to quality. And you can also find me on the MCU Complete Me podcast on AudioEntropy.com, where we talk about the Marvel movies. Uh, you can send us questions at, M- at Book of Medora podcast at gmail.com that is book of medora podcast at gmail.com you're on a lot of podcasts now yeah would you like to hear a kingdom hearts joke oh dear uh yeah go ahead okay knock knock who's there nobody ah yeah, <laughs> yeah okay okay goodbye goodbye <laughs> you can't keep amusing yourself like this that's fucked up